on Colossians. It's the last, so you should be all sad and disappointed that a series called The Hope of Glory is coming to an end. But hopefully now we have a, a much clearer understanding of the supremacy of Jesus and what difference that makes in our lives. And today we're going to finish on chapter 4. And chapter 4 is like one of those bits at the end of Paul's letters that you get in, in almost all these letters where it's a list of names, a list of greetings, a list of sendings, and, and a whole bunch of people. Now I'm not going to read all that out to you, but right at the start of that, there's a real gem. And I want to just, this morning it's completing itself, but in a way it's also an in, introduction to what we're going to talk about at the start of next year. There's a new a series which is God's really put on my heart for a long time. I'm going to preach that start next year called Surprise the World. And it's actually based on these verses that we're going to look at this morning. Now, I'm not going to share that this morning because otherwise I wouldn't have a series for next year. But what I'm going to do is, is really just highlight these verses. So all you've got to do this morning is find Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 2 to 6. I've only got two slides this morning, apart from the, the, the nice colourful one. And so I'm going to read it from there. <clears throat> really simple statements. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us. That's Paul and those who are part of Paul's close team. That God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And you walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The first thing that, you know, whenever I see these long lists of names and Paul sending greetings and all that sort of thing, is what really impresses me is that they invested a whole lot more time in relationships in those days than we do now. Uh, relationships were kind of really key to them. And, you know, I, I think that's maybe something that, particularly in the last generation, has become more and more fragmented and, we, and we, we've lost more and more. And, it, and, and social media, in that sense, doesn't help. It, makes us this, it gives us this idea that we've got a relationship when really what we have is we've got an email and we've got a Facebook page. But the, the, it allows us to, I guess, interact with people without actually having to share the reality of our lives with people. Because I, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, nearly everybody I know that if that was their life, this would be an amazing planet. But it's not, because people share all their best bits on Facebook. There's one or two people share all the worst bits, but you're probably not friends with them. But they all share the best. People share the best bits. They present a face to the world that they want the world to see. Now, in, in this time, and certainly when I was growing up, people invested a whole lot more in relationships. Relationships were really important to people. Now, I still believe that relationships are really important. I think we, we, we've got a bit of a failure as how to follow through on them these days. Um, and it's in that context that, you know, we've become very orientated towards getting the job done, making things happen, doing things, task-orientated, busy, 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 busy people. And... The problem with that is that that doesn't really help with relationships, hence the massive amount of marital breakdown, relationship breakdown we've seen in our society in the last 30 or 40 years. And more to the point, it really doesn't help in your relationship with God or the kingdom. And so we, 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 it, unless we do something about that, unless we react to that, we become a generation of people who attend church, but it makes no difference when we're outside church. Now, there's always been people like that. There's always been believers like that. But it's, it's something now, if we want to be different to that, we have to fight for. Last, previous generations could just do it. Now we have to fight for it because we have to find time. We have to carve out space. We, 
we have to find a way of investing in our relationships with God and our relationship with others and our relationship with those outside the kingdom. And unless we, don't, unless we find time, it won't happen. And generally, it doesn't happen because we don't find time. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the best way I've, I've looked at this to, is to say, look, if I want to make it happen, I've got to schedule it to happen. Because if I don't schedule it to happen, it won't happen. Because things always happen. And that's a lot of happens. A lot of happens. But things are always happening. And unless we schedule things, unless we schedule time with God, unless we schedule time with others, and we stick to that in our schedules as far as is possible, it won't happen now. Because life is too quick. Life is too busy. Um, my daughter, you probably know, has a bakery business. And she got an um, inquiry about a wedding cake at 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon by email. And at 10 o'clock on the Monday morning, she got a complaint that it had not been replied to. Because that's the speed of life that people are expecting. And I'm sure, you know, that's an extreme version. I haven't come across quite that. that. That's become the norm. People expect immediate responses to everything. And if we are going to follow through on relationship with the God who we believe in and relationship with others, we're going to have to do something that breaks those patterns. And the only thing that we can really do is to schedule things, schedule time that, where we put our main priorities in. Otherwise, they won't happen. And, you know, as believers, we're supposed to be and are countercultural. And yet we find ourselves just swept along with the tide of culture. Here's something else I think we can do to really start getting into some kingdom things. Jesus talked about it quite a bit in, in his ministry. But what he, he was encouraging people to, and what Paul encourages people to do, is to listen to the other pe person, to prioritise what's on that other person's heart. And Jesus sometimes looked at this the other way around, and he basically said, guys, you need to actually spend some time and prioritise some people, not on the basis of what they can do for you, but what you can do for them. Because he said, you're really good at doing stuff where you think you can get stuff from somebody, but you're not too good at doing stuff where you could give something to somebody who can't pay you back. And, and so in all these things, we, we need to, in some ways, start looking at our relationships that we're building a little differently and, and put the time into people where we can give to, get the, to give the most fruit, not where we can get the most. So that's a bit of a pacey. Now, Paul opens this up and he's saying, look, this, this new birth, this new brand new hour in Christ, these new clothes that we talked about last week, they're going to show themselves primarily in the way you relate. And they're going to show themselves that they are new man, what you look like in Christ, those, that, that new uh, life that you have is going to show yourself in three relationships. It's going to show itself in relationship with God relationship with others believers and relationship with those outside the kingdom and that's really what Paul's talking about right, at, right in these verses and in relationship with God he says this continuing it earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving uh, one of my uh, other versions that I was looking at when I was studying this says devote yourself to prayer devote yourself to prayer uh, so I looked up that, you know, being a, being a good pastor, I, I looked up what that meant in the Greek, devote yourself to prayer or continue earnestly. And it means to continue earnestly. That's not a surprise, is it? To be earnest towards, you think like this guy writing the dictionary has run out of words, hasn't he? Be constantly diligent and give close attention to. Give close attention to, be constantly diligent. Now, there's a time factor there, isn't there? that you have to create some time to make this possible. I believe 
that the biggest failure of the church of our generation is a prayer failure. I think we fail on other things, but I think our biggest failure is a prayer failure. Because I think we, we, we don't create time for it. We don't understand it. When we do it, we operate under the, a, a covenant that sometimes doesn't resemble a new covenant. And we've got ourselves really mixed up in it. And because of that, like the least attended thing you can do with a church is a prayer meeting. Because we've all had experiences where we don't like prayer meetings and we don't like prayer. And, and the reason for that is because we're not doing prayer right. We, we haven't realized its importance and we haven't realized the, the, the way that it can actually change things and the way we can connect with God. We, we, in a way, we've over-spiritualized prayer. We've made prayer religious. And Jesus didn't come to give us a religion. He came to break down barriers so we could go straight to the Father. He came to break down barriers so we could walk straight into the presence of God. We could come boldly before the throne of grace and tell him what we need. And Jesus came to give us that. And yet what we've done is we've created a spiritualized, religious sort of thing out of prayer. And here's the thing. In our busy lives, in, in everything that goes on, if what we have is that spiritualized, formal, uh, religious version of prayer, there's no way we can get time to do it. Not, not on the level that Paul is saying, which is devote yourself, be earnest toward, be constantly diligent, attend closely to, be vigilant in it. And in, a, in another place, he says, constantly pray. Pray at all times. How can you pray at all times? with the way we model prayer to each other. You, you can't, because you need, you need a room with, 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 with people and a formal meeting and, and people who know how to pray and pull the heavens down and all the rest of it, and you can't. Because that's not prayer. It's a form of prayer, but at its very basic, prayer is a conversation between you and God. That's it. Prayer is a conversation between you and God. And because it's a conversation between you and God, here's something surprising. It's a relationship between friends. It's a relationship between friends who are trying to help each other and want the best for each other. And when we view prayer in that context, it changes the way we pray. Because a lot of the way we, we, we've gone about prayer is thinking that it's, it's about quantity. Quantity that, you know, if, if enough of us, enough of the time can pray with enough words and long enough, eventually we'll get God to move. And the problem with that is we've got a, a two-thirds of the Bible model that for us. It's called the Old Covenant. But we don't have that covenant anymore. And, and Jesus said, that wasn't the point of the Old Covenant anyway. They misunderstood it. And you find God saying, I, you know, I'm not really interested in all your prayer. I'm not really interested in all your sacrifices. I'm interested in your hearts. And he's saying that under, even under the Old Covenant. And yet what we've got is something completely different. We have a relationship with God. We have a conversation with God where Christ has already provided all we need for life and godliness. And that, that, that's fundamentally different. You see, um, how can I put this? I'm trying to be tactful, which isn't my strong point, to be fair. I'm trying not to. <laughs> I'll get told off afterwards, though. Um, but, you see, when you see Jesus pray, you see him doing two things. You see him, the, the, the snapshots we have of Jesus praying, we see him having a conversation with his father. That's, that's the main snapshot. We have that in, in sort of John 14 through to 17. Jesus having a conversation with his father. What else do we see? We see Jesus praying, going, be healed, be whole, be set free. Devil come out of him. 
What's the difference? The difference is this. That it's not quantity of words or quantity of people. It's quality of faith that gets the answers for new covenant believers. And, and Paul's saying this, that, that prayer isn't a religious meeting. Prayer is a lifestyle of relationship with God. And, and when, when you do that, you find that a big element of that is thanksgiving. It's praise. And, uh, you know, what, one of the things that I found really um, just brilliant is that, um, and I'll, I'll look this way, okay, for a reason, is that on, on the Wednesday prayer meetings, you know, when I go along to those, I, I don't go along every week because some weeks I'm doing training or out at life groups or whatever. Um, but when I go along, it's something that, that is really evident to me. That it's a mixture of worship, thanksgiving, and words. And, and I think, uh, and the reason I'm looking this way is that I think Phil is brilliant at that, leading people into thanksgiving at the start of the prayer meeting. It's great. And, and that's kind of, of, of what Paul had in mind, because he's saying it's, it's a lifestyle and you're doing it with thanksgiving. Why is he saying you're doing it with thanksgiving? Well, it's really simple. He's saying that if the faith is there, I'm absolutely not on my notes at all now, if the faith is there, then the thanksgiving is there because you, you, you should be in an atmosphere where, you, where the answers are coming. And... And when the answers are coming, you should be expecting the rest of the answers to be coming. We had um, a, a, our life group this week. We went around all the prayers that people had had over the last two weeks and found out, and, and this, I think this is the first time this is answered, every single one had, all, had been answered. And we're going like, this, this is amazing. We have an amazing God who, who, who does these things. And it's an expectancy that God's got to answer. And that, that creates this atmosphere of thanksgiving, which then creates Faith that he's going to answer the next thing we need. And it's faith that gets the answer. So we get in a virtuous circle. Are you, are you with me? I know this is kind of a bit different, but just go with it. So Paul says this, um, being vigilant or keeping alert. Keeping alert for what? Being vigilant about what? How can you keep alert and be vigilant in your prayers. Well, here's one way that you can interpret this. I think this is, this is a valid way, is that you become aware of things that are happening around you, happening to people that you know happening in your life. And, and so you, you log that, that that's something that you want to take before God and have a conversation with him about. That's one way of being vigilant, you know, having awareness of life around you and taking that to God in prayer. You know, uh, Paul says, taking all things to God with supplication and, and petitions and all the rest of it. So we, that's one way. But I, I believe that just the way this is phrased and, and the way he's looking at this, what he's talking about is a different kind of vigilance, a different kind of being alert. Because he's putting this in the context of an interaction between you and God. And this context of an interaction between you and God, because you're in prayer, being vigilant with thanksgiving, being alert with thanksgiving, who, who's in the room to be aware of? Who's in the room to be vigilant about? Who's in the room to be alert about? God. So prayer's not a one-way process, it's a two-way process. And, and it's not just about us talking to God, it's about being vigilant and alert to what he's got to say. And one of the things that, that, that God has to, to, to feed into that process is he's given us somebody who's always there with us and he's always talking, called the Holy Spirit. And so a, a, quite a bit of our, our prayer life is about being alert to the way the Holy Spirit's prompting us and leading us and the way the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading us to pray into different areas and, and things he's putting on in our heart to pray about in that prayer dynamic. But it's also um, about this, because so, some people will go, well, if God knows everything that I need, and he's given me all I need, and he knows what all my problems are before I take them to him, which he does, and he knows how to fix them, which he does, 
why do I need to pay? Have you ever had that thought yourself? I know you might have heard somebody else say it, but have you ever had it yourself? Like, well, if God already knows this, why would I pay? Because God, it's really obvious to you. You know, you could sort this out with a drop of out. Why, why do I have to come to you? What, what's your problem? Here's the thing. God has the answer. God knows what he's going to do. He's aware of everything that's going on in your life. You're not telling him any news. Because he already knows. So why do you go to God in prayer? You go to God to express thanksgiving for what he's done, what he's going to do, but you also go to God to hear the Holy Spirit. And the reason we go when we go, well, he already knows, you know, he already knows what I need. The reason we go and we have a conversation with him about it is this. He knows what we need and he's got a different perspective on what we need to us. And so we go to the Holy Spirit with what we need, so we can get heaven's perspective on our problem. Because heaven's perspective is different from our problem. It's different from the way we see things. If it wasn't different from the way we see things, we'd fix it. But it's different. So we go to get heaven's perspective on the problem. And so Paul, when he's saying this, he's saying prayer as a lifestyle, which is what it should be, is about conversations that are ongoing, all wrapped up in thanksgiving, all wrapped up in that relationship, that trusting of our Father, taking that before him and believing him to answer. And in believing him to answer, being alert, being vigilant for what he's going to speak in, this is the step I want you to take. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to act. This is... This is what's going on around you. Look at it from my perspective. Look at what I see in what's going on around you. Because he sees things in what's going on in our lives that we can't. Because we are not omniscient. That means you see everything. And we are not omnipotent. We're not all-powerful, so we can't fix it. Are you still with me on this? So, here's what prayer isn't as a lifestyle. It's not a moaning session or a complaining session. It's an encouraging time. It's about looking at what God has done, not what we haven't seen yet. And it's about looking at what God has done and thanking him for it so he can stir up the faith that he's planted in our hearts. It's about looking at what he's promised and what he's made available by his victory and using our faith to take hold of that, believing him in it. It's, it's looking at who he's made you to be and, and, and living from that. But living from that and living in that in a way that is open to God. You know, we can't pretend to God. We can pretend to other people that, that everything's perfect and we're doing great and, and, you know, we never sinned for the last 50 years. But God knows different. And so, you know, there's, in a relationship with God, we're open, we're honest about what's going well, and we're honest about what's not, and, and our failings. And when we go to God with that attitude, he fixes it. He gives us wisdom, he gives us help on how to sort things. Prayer's about, because it, it's so integrated with thanksgiving, it's so integrated with worship, prayer is about being in the presence of God. It's about encountering God. It's about expecting the supernatural to happen. And it's about being grateful for what we do have, not miserable about what we don't. And so prayer is a really positive thing. And I know, you know, sometimes I've, I've like thrown a lot out there. Um, but we need to move away from this religious, spiritualized idea of, of prayer towards really understanding that for us as New Covenant believers, it's a worship wrapped, it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship which is wrapped up in worship and thanksgiving because we're confident in God. We're confident in what he can do. We're confident he's got the answers. We're confident he'll keep his promises. We're confident he's faithful. And I, I think we do a whole lot better 
if we spent less time um, reiterating all our problems to God and more time celebrating what he's done and what he's doing and recognising the small changes along the way to him fixing the existing problem that we're talking to him about. Here's, here's kind of the overall point I'm making. We will not see victory by wallowing in defeat. You cannot see victory by wallowing in defeat. It's an impossibility. And so if, if what is coming out of our mouths and what we're expressing to God is defeat, we will not see victory. Because what makes prayer work is faith. So to see victory, we have to believe victory and not wallow in the stuff that's gone wrong. Here's another thing I think that is kind of really helpful that Paul talks about elsewhere in Colossians. We talked about it a few weeks ago when we were talking about our authority, the authority of the believer, the defeat of the enemy and, and the, the disarmament of the enemy. What the enemy will often try and do in your life is get you to dance to his tune. So he'll send something along into your life to try and throw you off track. And when it throws you off track, if you re react to that by wallowing in it and giving it, empowering it in your life, he'll think that's really good and he'll throw you another thing that throws you off track. And eventually you'll be so far off track, you'll find yourself like trying to grab all get back to God and finding out you can't. And he's really good at that. So we have to stop tailoring our prayer life to, and, and, and the way we do our life to what the enemy's throwing at us and tailoring it more and, and living more from the place of what God is doing in our life and dancing to God's tune, not the enemy's tune. Because as long as, as long as we get absorbed with all the things the enemy is throwing at us, we're absorbed by all the things the enemy is throwing at us. And that crowds out our time for our relationship with God, our time in his presence, where the solutions are. And where the new stuff is, and where the guidance is, and where the counselling is, and where the voice of the Holy Spirit is, saying, do this one next, do that next, do this thing, say that thing. Go there. Think this. And we miss all that because we, we, we are focusing on taking the problems all the time. So we don't resist the enemy by dancing to the enemy's tune. We resist the enemy by playing God's tune and telling the enemy what God has already done about him and that we have the victory and we are overcomers, and we will outlast this situation and come out the other side stronger than we ever went in. And that, that's, that's kind of um, a perspective on, on what we, we are sharing with God as New Covenant believers. The second area that... Paul talks about is relationship with others. See, God's interested not only on your relationship with him, but how you get along with other people. And that he designed us that it's not good for us not to be in relationship with people. I know some of us go, well, I'm a loner. Well, you've learned to be a loner. Relationship with other people is vital to who we are made. You know, that's why, like God said to Adam, it's not good for you to be on your own. You need other people. And I find that one of the, do you know, I, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but I find that one of the most astonishing statements in the Bible. That Adam is walking in the garden every day with the God of the universe, the omniscient, omnipotent God of the universe, He's always there, always with him, sharing him, delighting in his creation. And God turns around to Adam and says, I'm not enough. I haven't designed you for it to be just about our relationship. I've designed you to relate to others as well. And I find that absolutely astonishing. Because 
So many times I've heard Christianese go, well, you don't need anything. You don't need anybody. Just ignore all those people. You only need God. Yes, you do need God, but you need other people because that's where your relationship with God plays out in reality. That's where you can show the love of God and take the love of God and take the blessings of God and take the power of God to other people's lives. And so we need relationship. We need relationship to make us function. And, and that's kind of the second thing that this society is robbing us of. It's making relationship distant. It's rela making relationship automated. You can't automate love. Sorry, you can't. Facebook is not a substitute for face-to-face -face caring for somebody and being there with them. It really isn't. Neither is Instagram, neither is WhatsApp, neither is Twitter. None of them, especially not Twitter. Particularly, particularly for somebody who, who likes to explain things in detail. Twitter doesn't work. When you're limited 140 words, it just doesn't work for me. That, I don't do Twitter. I have a Twitter account. I failed at fitting into its little criteria, so I gave up. But we can't automate our relationship. And, and God cares about our relationships with each other. And, and so much so, um, I've, I've been teaching this in the Bible skill, so we, we're going to be talking about this again tonight, the Bible skill, but God set up the whole way the kingdom works as something he calls a gospel partnership. And he expects us to covenant to each other, to covenant to each other's believers, to bring and carry the gospel outside the church to those who haven't got it yet. And to, to share in that... Uh, as a, as a group of people in partnership with each other. And, and he, he put great importance in that in the way he, he developed the church and, and he, he intended the church to function. And also, strangely, God has done something really powerful in respect of corporate prayer as opposed to individual prayer. Because he's given us an extra promise for corporate prayer, which is if there's more than two or three of you, I'm right there in the midst of you. And he said, if you'll come into agreement with each other about what you're believing for, I'll honour that agreement. And so he, he's given us an authority to be used in each other's lives. And, and he's given us an, a, a, a mandate to pray into each other's lives and pray for each other with faith. So the third thing he starts talking about here in the second part of this passage is our relationship with unbelievers. And he says, uh, you pray for us. So he's talking about himself and the little uh, band that are going around with him. That God will open a door for us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. So he's saying, right, here's how this, this plays out. You guys... Your job is to pray for me that I can do my job and for openings for my job, the wisdom to do it, that doors will open to do it and that, that, that the gospel will spread. Use your authority as believers in the church there to pray for me who is out there doing my job and he, he, here he's referring to himself not as apostle but as evangelist, Paul the evangelist. Um, you pray for me that I can make known the mystery of the gospel to people. Now, here's your part. Here's your part in how you relate to unbelievers. He's saying, I'm not expecting you to all abandon your church and come out with me. But I am expecting you to do something. And it's just as important, it's just as big. In fact, this is how the kingdom works. And he's saying, this is what I expect you to do. I expect you to do two things towards unbelievers. The first thing I want you to do towards unbelievers, and just say, just say right out now, I'll tell it before I even tell you, just say to you, shout out loud, I can do this. You can, because the first thing he tells them to do is to conduct themselves with wisdom towards unbelievers. Now, this is because, you know, we're all live around Cambridge, don't we? We are the wisest of the wise people in the land. 
If we can't do this in Cambridge, you can. But every single believer can do this because we have the spirit of wisdom in us. Go back to what I said before. How do you plug into the wisdom of God? In prayer, in relationship with him. And so Paul's saying, first thing you can all do as believers is you can conduct yourself with wisdom towards those who don't believe. And the second thing you can do is you have your speech seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. So, two things we're supposed to do towards unbelievers. We're supposed to conduct ourselves right towards them, and we're supposed to talk to them. Say, I can do this. Because you can. You can talk to people. I can prove it to you can talk to people. Esther, where's Paul been this week? It's wherever you've been, I don't know. <laughs> He's been in London. Thorstein, yeah. Nowhere glamorous. Nowhere in another time zone. Oh, really boring week. Over, yeah, that's almost another time zone. It's almost another, another society, you know. So, you see, Esther just talked to me. Paul just talked to me. You can talk to people. You can talk to people about all sorts of things. Just like prayer is meant to be natural in relationships, so is our relationship with other people. It's meant to be natural. Now, listen to this carefully, because next after Christmas, I'm going to go into this passage in a massive amount of detail and just open some things up. But listen to this carefully. You talk to people seasoned with salt. You do not just throw salt at people. That might seem stupid, but it is what we do. We are desperate to get the salt pot opened and hurl it at people in the hope that as it hits them, they might just dry up, shrivel up, the tears might come, and we might get some sort of salvation. And Paul said, doesn't work. You need wisdom in how you conduct yourself towards them, and what you talk about, you season with salt. What do you mean season with salt? You talk to people about why you do the things you do, the way you see things, your perspective on what's going on in their life. And you bring to them what? The words the Holy Spirit gives you to speak to them. Now, here's why you need to, I need to be careful on this, and I'm going to explain this in detail after Christmas. Paul is talking about himself as evangelist, doing the work of an evangelist. But he's saying there's a responsibility on everybody to conduct themselves with wisdom towards the world and season their speech with salt. And so, amazing, you know, amazingly, we cannot all be evangelists, but we can all do the work of evangelism. It would not take, if you've been here for more than a couple of weeks, it would not take anything if I got you to turn and point at the evangelist in the room. Which, let's just do it to see if it works. Where's the evangelist in the room? Okay. Now, Connie is probably, she's one of the most amazing people I've met. And I'm not like her. But I can conduct myself with wisdom towards the word and season my speech with salt. Meanwhile, I pray for Connie, I pray for openings for her, I ask, it, I encourage her, I build her up, we, you know, we support her, we, we, we like, do, you know, like, tell her how amazing she is because she is, and, and all that sort of stuff, and that's what you do. And, and, and she does what she does, and she's brilliant at it. But for us, it's about conduct and speech. Why? Because for us, we reach people by relationship. And that's what Paul's saying here. You're going to reach people by relationship. And, and he's basically telling them, guys, don't be religious. Don't go into this 
with an agenda other than relationship. But in that relationship, ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and season your speech with salt. James puts it this, so I've got another slide, so just to stop you getting bored for the morning, here's slide number two, that, the, the next and only other slide. I, I think we do, we could have a drum roll. James 1.19, and uh, James 1.19, it says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, let every man be quick to listen or swift to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. Now, there's two or three people here who are smiling intently because um, what I've been doing is I've been running, started running teaching and preaching classes with the staff. And I've given them a whole preach that's given by somebody else based on that verse. And, um, and so they're all smiling now and going, I don't know where Mark got that from. Well, no, I got it from James. I had it this written long before I gave you that. It just so happened. So I'll claim the glory, but yeah, I nicked it. So here's the thing. Slow, swift to listen, slow to speak. Say that. Swift to listen, slow to speak. So why are we swift to speak and slow to listen? The gospel works really well if we're quick to listen and slow to speak. As believers, our job is to invest in relationship by listening. Listening. Not finding somebody else we can dump our life on. That's not really a great basis for relationship. You're relying on that other person being somebody who likes being dumped on. Some don't. But we're quick to listen, slow to speak. Why? Because in that conversation, in that listening, we want to get the Holy Spirit's wisdom on what to say to them. That's why we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Why are we slow to speak? Because we're listening to the Holy Spirit. If we're not, if we are quick to speak, what comes out? We do. Which bit of us comes out? Our flesh. Our clever bit that thinks we can fix it without God. So we are quick to listen, slow to speak. And all this has to be regrounded in a relationship of prayer with God. Where we are quick to listen and slow to speak. Prayer is, is about being quick to listen and slow to speak. Because it's a relationship. But we want to be wise in what we say. I'm, I'm nearly finished, by the way. What time is it? Oh, I'm doing all right. Here's um, just something, because occasionally I'll say things on Facebook. You might have noticed that. And I've got a blog. And the blog, uh, a lot of what I write about in that blog is to intend to encourage members and leaders of churches that are less than 250. And coming out of that, the question sometimes comes about, well, I put this blog post up and I got all this flack and now you're saying I shouldn't have said it. So what is right to say as a believer and what is wrong to say as a believer? And I'd like to give you like a definitive set of rules on, on what's wisdom on when, when you're slow to speak, when you actually open your mouth or when you actually go onto Facebook or social media or whatever, because that's a major way we communicate. What should you say? What can you say? Could you never say anything that you disagree with anything? Well, clearly not, because... Jesus disagreed with things, Paul disagreed with things, and he said it. However, these are some guidelines I've kind of tried to develop for myself, because sometimes I found in my youthful days, I, I didn't always do this, and, and it, it wasn't very healthy. Because the big thing we have to remember is that when we speak, and particularly when we speak on social media, it's public. And there are unbelievers reading that as well as believers. 
And if the only thing that unbelievers find is Christians knocking each other, ripping shreds off each other and calling each other heretics, it's not healthy. And unfortunately, there's a lot of the Christian Facebook traffic and, and media traffic that is just that. I've got it right, you've got it wrong, you're the wrong, you're the heretic, you're doing this, you're exploiting this, you're doing that, you're doing that, and, and attacking. Attacking does absolutely no good, and it brings the gospel into dishonour. But that doesn't mean you can't disagree. So here's kind of what I've done, and, and you know, if you, if you go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, you, you stick things on the internet, if you've got a blog, write this down. So here's some guidelines. These kind of rough guides that I think about. I will not, and you, I will not do this in church either, I will not criticise a person. I will not criticise a minister. Some people will come to me and say, well, what do you think about what that minister did? I'm not accountable for them. That's why we need to be careful who we plug into. I'm not accountable for them. I, I'm, I'm not speaking into their life and I'm certainly not going to speak to you about their life because I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know what's happening there. I would be speaking without wisdom so therefore I won't speak. So I won't criticise an individual minister of an individual ministry. I won't criticise an identifiable church or ministry. That's not good. I mean like what do you you know, what if somebody down the road at St. Such and Such is having a real go at us this morning and we're having a real go at some blobby blobs over there and they're having a real go at St. Such and Such. It's not any good to anybody, is it? It's not the kingdom. It's not what Jesus died for because he gave us a ministry of reconciliation. So you have to have disagreement in the mix of the overall arch is reconciliation. You know, the it's okay to think different things it's not okay to be rude about it it's not okay to be attacking about it and the other thing i found is it's really not healthy to lump everybody together all pastors are like this church leaders are like this all churches do this no they don't Everyone is different. Everyone is individual. You might have come across somebody that did that, but that doesn't mean everybody's like that and all pastors are like that, all leaders are like that. Well, I don't like leadership in church. Well, no, you don't like leadership in a particular church because of what you've experienced. Leaders are generally trying to do their best and, and running themselves into the ground 24-7, trying to help people, love people, care for people and reach people with the gospel. And we all do it in different ways, and we've all got different ideas about how that should be done. But that doesn't give us a reason to criticise each other. The fourth thing that I've seen is that you appreciate and honour the person even when you don't agree with what they've said. And... You know, I've learned some absolutely fantastic things by having that attitude because I've been able to appreciate people when most of what they say, I don't agree with. But, you know, one, one of the things I, I really appreciate is that there's, there's some people out there that they're not on the same page, they don't have in any way, wouldn't even preach the sort of stuff that I talk about certainly don't believe some of the stuff I talk about, and yet they give them themselves, they help themselves, they put out loads of resource to help other churches, they mentor other churches, they try and encourage other pastors, other believers, and they're fantastic at it. And, and that's what we should appreciate in people. It doesn't come down to whether we're right or wrong, because some of the time we're all going to be wrong. It comes down to whether we can appreciate the other people for their heart in it, not whether you think that's the best way. Does, does all this make sense? So when Paul's saying, walk in wisdom to those of us outside, redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace. That's what I'm talking about now. Letting your speech with, be with grace. This is true for believers outside, but also those within the church. 
Be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We, we have to give a reason for why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe. And it's okay to say, I think this is the way that we, that we should do it. It's not okay to say, therefore, I'm going to criticise you and call you a heretic because you don't do it my way. That's not okay. And so, I want to I leave you with this. Um, because we're right at the end of this series and this is kind of my last little paragraph of it. What Paul's saying is Jesus died to win a victory that he wants you to live your life in the light of. You can know and believe that and, and yet still walk in your flesh. And Jesus said, when you walk in the flesh, they won't be able to see me. So you need to walk in the spirit. And we looked at how warning signs of how you know you're walking in the flesh, how you know you got, haven't got your new clothes on last week. So how does the world see Jesus? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another like I love you. The way the world sees Christ in us corporately is by our love that we have for each other. The way the world sees our flesh is when it sees discord and when it sees us not caring for each other and not bothered about it. And we want the world to see Christ. So Paul said, have wisdom in the way you relate to people. And when they see you together, let them see you loving each other, caring about each other, and being there for each other. Amen? How's the headache? Great. Neck, tummy, move it around. Any pain? Tiny bit of pain, right, we'll pay for Anna again. Headache gone? Head, or was it just neck pain? Mostly neck pain, okay. We're going to pray. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all you've done for us. We thank you for the victory that you won at the cross. But more than that, Lord, we thank you that you're a God who loves us, who desires relationship with us, who, who is open to us, who calls us into his presence, who... who has the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding to lead us into the steps we should take. You have the power to bring us through and you have given us the promises to trust you by. So Lord, I asked this morning that you would continue to stir up faith in our hearts, stir up belief and to believe you for even greater things in our life. Life where we don't dance to the enemy's tune, but we show him your tune and play it back to him. In Jesus' name. Amen.